Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Marsha Dawood. She's a managing partner at Blue Tree Capital. Marsha, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. You have a really impressive background. You guys are doing a bunch of really interesting things at Blue Tree. But maybe before we kind of get into that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Sure. I am a Pennsylvania girl at heart. I grew up um, in just outside of Reading, Pennsylvania, which is about an hour outside of Philadelphia. Was there um, all through the same high school, K through 12. Um, oh, wow. And uh, actually went to school with a couple girls that we started together in kindergarten at three years old. Really? Are you still actually, friends today? Oh, yeah. Actually, the one I'm going to see tomorrow. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, really fun. Really great. I mean, like a sister. Really cool. Sure. And then I decided when I was going to go to college, I was like, oh, I really like um, Pennsylvania, but I'm going to go way over to the other side of the state, Pittsburgh. And uh, I spent 25 years then in Pittsburgh. I went to Pitt um, undergrad. Okay. And then what did you take time, there? Uh, I had a business major, but back then you had to take a business major and a full other major. So I had a full psychology major and a business major. So it wasn't like you could take a major and a minor. It was a a kind of a dual thing they had you doing. Got you. So what made you want to kind of take business in, in university? Um, I'd always had an uh, interest in it. As soon as I turned 16 and was able to work, I started working in a restaurant. And by the time I graduated from high school, two years later, I was pretty much managing the place. That's cool. I was doing the payroll. I was doing the scheduling. I Yeah, it was it was, a lot, it was a great learning experience. And I think the managers were happy because they were like, hey, here's somebody who can do our work for us. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's awesome. And then you went back and got a master's of business, uh, your MBA. Walk me through why you decided to do that and where did you take that? Yeah, so that's interesting because when I started, I got right out of college and right into a pretty good job working as a buyer for a department store at the time was called Kaufman's. It was in Pittsburgh. And um, that was a great experience. So I was sitting next to somebody uh, who had the same job as me. We had the same pay. And she had a master's degree, and I didn't. And I was getting promoted faster than her and, and some other people that I was working with, and I was moving up the ranks. So I kind of kept putting off going to grad school because I wasn't seeing the ROI. Okay. And then as time went on, uh, I started to realize, hey, maybe um, maybe I should do this. And I kind of, kind of went back and forth. And I ended up working after I was a retail buyer. I really only had two jobs in my corporate life. One was five years with a retail buying. And then I was uh, 17 years with Kaplan Education. Okay. And when I was with Kaplan, I did uh, first 10 years sales and marketing. Last six and a half, seven years were all operations. So I did almost every kind of job that you could in the corporation. It was the division that was the for-profit education arm. So we have brick and mortar schools, 72 schools in the system all over the country. And uh, I started to realize, you know, I was managing teams, I was managing national teams, and that was all great. But I just felt like I got to a point after a while, especially working in the same company for so long that I was having trouble seeing the forest through the trees. 
Sure. And I wanted to really be able to think outside of my box. I think I was in my <laughs> own box. And so I wanted to think outside of that. So I decided I would go back to school. Now, my husband, uh, which is actually how I got into angel investing, we can get into that in a minute, sure. but um, he was a Wharton grad. And I saw how his um, graduate degree really helped him in his career. And I didn't really want to go into finance, that's what he does. But um, I thought, well, there's got to be something here that's kind of cool. So I went and looked at Wharton and was going to you know, kind of set up to go there. And then for all kinds of other reasons, I had nothing to do with school. I ended up getting turned on to UNC Chapel Hill, which has a program that's an international MBA, but it's for people who've been in the workforce for more than 10 years. Okay. And uh, they allow five universities from around the world to get together share curriculum and be able to travel together. So instead of just going on like an immersion where you, you would go maybe for two weeks to China or something like that, and sure. you kind of get something, this is a whole 21 month program where during the 21 months you go on four different trips, you're always together and then you work together on projects during that time. And it was fascinating. Sure, I uh, the cultural, different, cultural differences, the things that you have to go through as far as, you know, scheduling meetings and having to do with, deal with the time zone changes and all kinds of things like that. So it was really interesting to, um, to get kind of a, a look at the world from that perspective. And when I first read about the curriculum, it was like, I was like, oh, this is totally me. So I did that program. And, uh, and that, I think that helped me so much, even though at that time I, I was still working full time at Kaplan. So I was doing the exact program. Oh, wow. It, you know, the exact uh, you know, curriculum. And so, um, yeah, I got to a point where I was like, at the end of it, I wanted to just do something completely different. I wanted to get out of education and just do something really different. And so that's kind of how I got into the angel world. Sure. No, that that's great. So I guess, so you, you obviously, you just mentioned you got into the angel world, but kind of what made you decide to go into that space? Yeah. So I had no idea what angel investing was. And um, my husband, though, was in uh, mergers and acquisitions for a big bank and uh, knew about angel investing, although he was on a kind of a different corporate side. Um, and he said, hey, we should look at this. And it was like post-crisis, like kind of right after the crisis right. uh, of 09. And, um, and he was saying, hey, we've got to look into some alternative investing ourselves. You know, maybe we should take a look at this whole angel thing. And we met Catherine Mott, who is the founder of Blue Tree Capital in Pittsburgh. And um, we had a meeting, and I remember with, just with her individually, and then we went to one of the Blue Tree uh, member meetings. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, I don't know what they're talking about. I, what is a convertible note? And, uh, you know, like sure. all these terms are being for free money valuation. And I'm asking my husband, I'm like, what does this mean? And he's like, he's like, I'm not really sure. I think this is like angel speak. And uh, <laughs> so eventually, you know, I, start, I started to catch on. And then I was just like, this is the greatest thing. I can sit here and learn all about these different things that are going on in the world because people are trying to solve all these various problems and they kind of come through in this very early stage, uh, you know, startup space. And I was just fascinated from that day on. Sure. I, I think that's, that's really great. And you've kind of, you sit on a bunch of kind of angel associations and you've done kind of a bunch of stuff. You're involved with golden seeds. Um, you know, you've, you've kind of really 
done a lot for the kind of investment in angel community and you're still doing a lot but i'm kind of curious to step back just one second on something you you had you incorporated a a sports franchise do you maybe want to kind of cover what exactly you did with that and then i want to dive back into the kind of angel investing side but i think i'm curious about to know the sports side of of your kind of career (laughs) Yeah, just um, yeah, briefly. It was a um, part of the CrossFit community ended up doing like a, a kind of a side thing called Grid. Okay. And um, it was very very new at the time. And my classmates from grad school and I bought the franchise rights to one of the first teams, and cool. um, it was great. It was a fantastic experience. My experience with it was. Um, really interesting for me as an angel investor because I'd already gotten into angel investing a little bit. Okay. And now I was seeing things from an entrepreneurial side. So what I did was a lot of the stuff that was really down in the weeds. I got into, oh, you know, going through and giving out shares, founder shares, very beginning when things were just getting formulated. And then when we went through and um, we had to take on investors, how that worked and how we would hire people and then give them restricted shares and, you know, we, what we expected. From, I mean, it was really a great education in learning about that whole space. Sure. And, and then I guess it also, it's nice that you've been through that. So when you have an entrepreneur come to you and say, I need some investment, you at least kind of, you've been there, you've done that, where I think a lot of kind of angels or any investors haven't actually been in the shoes of the person that's trying to get investment, at least in my experience. But so it's really cool that you've kind of been on both sides. Yeah, I have to say, I'm, I I wouldn't have done it on my own, but my classmates were really great about pushing me and helping me to learn about it. And it is extremely helpful. What I see with entrepreneurs today that is um, that where they sometimes get themselves into a little trouble early on is they haven't thought through the whole funding cycle of their business. Sure. And in the beginning, they, they think, oh, I have this great idea and I'm really about it and I want to be able to get some money so I can go ahead and start working on it. And they they sometimes give away a little bit more equity than maybe they should or they put terms in convertible notes that maybe aren't so, so favorable to them. Um, and so what I try to do is take a step back with them before they ever may, you know, if I'm there early enough, sure. uh, you know, and try to say, hey, um, let's make sure we think about not only what's going to happen now, but how, if it is a convertible note, how would it convert later? And where, when do you think that would happen? And then do you think you'd have to raise again? And, you know, how do you think you'd exit this? And, yeah, so if you, and I actually built an Excel model to help um, visualize this for people. It has all these, like, fancy little toys on it that'll help you to see, oh, I gave away this much equity at the beginning, and then in the second round, and then the third round. And so it helps so that at the end, you can kind of go through the entire thing and, like, you know, 15 minutes and be like, wow, this is what would happen if I exited and sure. how much, how much down I'd be. I, oh, wait, I started with a hundred percent of my company and now I'm down to, you know, eight. Sure. Yeah. Never. That's never good. I so. actually, I, I think that's actually really interesting and kind of a totally different way to kind of approach it. I, I think a lot of investors would never kind of care that much to actually do that. Right. And I, at least in my experience, they kind of seem like, well, it's up to you, right? Like, 
or it's up to the person trying to raise money to sort out kind of their future and how much they want to give away or not give away. So I think it's really cool that you you do that and you provided a tool to the people that you're, you're going to potentially invest in, you know, and you kind of show them the reality of that. I think that's really cool. So Yeah, well, you have to think about it like it's a it's a long-term relationship sure. with this person. So it's kind of like a marriage. And sure. got to take care of each other. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. So what exactly is kind of Blue Tree and, and what do you guys kind of invest in? Yeah, so Blue Tree Capital has a couple different arms to it. There is an angel network where angels get together, uh, look at deals, and then they make individual investments. Okay. We also um, started, um, Catherine Mott, the founder, and I started a, uh, a fund, a little annual fund that we put together each year, and we allow the members to put some capital into that, and then that fund invests alongside what the network decides to do. And the advantage there is that we were hearing a lot from people that they wanted to have a more diversified portfolio. Okay. And sometimes that can be hard if you have to write some fairly decent-sized check over and over and over again just to try to get 10 to 15 companies in your in your own portfolio. Sure. And when you put some capital into a fund and then are able to invest in like six to eight companies with the same amount of money that you might have invested in one company, now you've just spread out your risk a little bit and diversified yourself. So um, that's been working really, really well. We're in our second year of working with that right now. Um, and then we, I would say the model is pretty much uh, 45% tech. 45% life science and maybe like 10% or less in consumer goods. Okay. No, very, very cool. So I'm curious then, what do you guys kind of look for? Like if I have a company and I'm looking to, you know, get some investment from you guys, what are you guys looking to the entrepreneur to provide you guys so you'll even maybe take a meeting? Let's let's start there. Like you don't know who I am. I have an idea in one of the spaces that you guys play in. What are you looking for for me to provide to you guys to say, like, you know, yeah, I want to set up a meeting and, you know, let Kevin pitch to you? Right. The best way to, to do that really in any city is um, to get to know the ecosystem of your city. It, are there incubators, accelerators? Are there networking events where you can start to go and meet people and talk to people and ask for, you know, some advice on who funds what kind of company, because it's really dependent on the appetite of the group. Sure. If some groups have more of an appetite for life sciences because they have more scientists or scientific people that are in the group, life sciences tend to take a lot longer, so you kind of have to have more of an appetite for that. Okay. Some people want to play more in a tech space because, you know, sort of, it's a quicker return maybe. <laughs> Not sure. all the time, but, um, it <laughs> sure. can be. Um, and so I think the best way an entrepreneur can go about that is really just to start networking in their own community. And if I were going to, I have people introduced to me pretty often, you know, different entrepreneurs who are, who are looking for some help. And at that point, I would just want to talk to them and have them show me a little bit of their, you know, two page executive summary to start with and just give me the the high level of what they're trying to do. And then I kind of ask them some questions based on that. And then, you know, we can get into, sometimes I might not be the best person for them to talk to, you know, maybe it's something, um, you know, something that's more technical. And I know somebody who, who knows that space really well, and I would refer to them. Um, yeah. So it's like just kind of a matter of all that. 
Sure. So do you guys just invest in kind of the Pennsylvania area or do you guys kind of do stuff kind of uh, all across the states or, or walk me through that? We um, have great relationships with our colleagues throughout the country. So we do a lot of syndication to share deal flow um, throughout. And that, that a lot of that has to do with the fact that I am, as you mentioned earlier, I'm on the board of the angel capital association, which is the, uh, U.S. Trade Association for Angel Investing. And Catherine Mott, who's the founder of Blue Tree, she was the um, the chairwoman of that organization um, a couple years ago. So fortunately from that, we have a great network of colleagues who are doing the same thing that we're doing. However, we do have a soft spot in our heart for people in Western Pennsylvania or Pennsylvania in general. Um, there's also a Pennsylvania Angel Network, which is a group of all of the angel or a lot of the angel groups in Pennsylvania. And we have a call every month where we just talk and tell each other kind of what we're doing. What have you seen? What do you like? And what's going on? And that's very helpful as well. Sure. You, you guys also have a bunch of kind of really well-known kind of partners. How do you guys work with those partners? Do they support you kind of in actually investing or, or how do you kind of partner with them? Okay. So that, that has to, to do with the ecosystem. Okay. So Pittsburgh, it has become just a really great, innovative city. Um, if you go and look at what Google and Uber are doing right now, they're putting some really significant resources into the Pittsburgh area. And a lot of that has to do with uh, University of Pittsburgh and Carnegie Mellon and the, and the type of talent that those schools are attracting. And so if you look at some of the incubators, accelerators, that would be like the Innovation Works, um, Alpha Lab, Alpha Lab Gear, they are all trying to help build up this ecosystem. And so if there are people that are coming out of, you know, some really, really smart, talented people coming out of these universities who have these great ideas that maybe they even formulated while they were at the university, there, there still needs to be a lot of help to form a company around that. And so there are resources within Pittsburgh that um, the Blue Tree par- partners with in order to help make sure that kind of everybody's still connected. Sure. No, no, that makes a lot of sense. That, that's actually really cool. So how do you guys kind of decide who to invest in? And then obviously, depending on how much money they need, you, you kind of reach out to your network and decide who's kind of going to be in that or what funds you're going to use. But is there kind of a, a go-to model of what you guys are really looking for when you're deciding, yeah, you know, we really want to fund this company? Um, sure. So a lot of it has to do with the stage that the company is in. Uh, most angel groups want to see a company that is at least, you know, past the prototype stage, like it's not an idea on a napkin anymore. Sure. Uh, they have some customers, they've gotten some customer feedback. Um, and again, it depends on if it's, you know, life science tech, there's some different parameters there, consumer goods, a lot of angel groups really want to see like significant revenues before they would invest in something like that, or at least significant partnerships with suppliers and then, you know, uh, with distributors. So, um, I think all of those things get taken into consideration. I think in a lot of cases there can be a, a, you can have a really great checklist of what you're going to stick to. And then half of the checklist kind of gets thrown out the window. Sure. Sure. So, you know, it's just, it's a a little bit of, um, you know, what, what's been happening. I, I would say that 
in the last year or so, we've seen a couple of companies where the founders put in some significant uh, capital of their own. Okay. And they were either exited entrepreneurs or, you know, they took the company much farther than what we would what we would typically see at a, a seed or early stage. When I say seed, I mean like S-E-E-D okay, stage. Sure. Um, and so I would say that um, when you see a founder that is that motivated to put, um, you know, not just their uh, their sweat equity, but their actual dollars into their company, you can really, you know that they've got skin in the game and that's a, a jockey that you want to bet on. You want to bet on that horse because of the jockey. Sure. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I actually think that's really good advice, right? Like it just, if they're that in, into it, they're, they're a hundred percent committed, probably more than a hundred percent committed. Right. Exactly. Like you don't want to talk to an entrepreneur and, not, and then ask them, well, have you talked to like your friends and family about this? And they're like, yeah, but I don't want to take money from them. Well, <laughs> you want to take money from them. Why do you want to take money from me? You know, so, or from us. No, yeah. that's that's a re- that's actually really good advice. So you guys are you have this kind of new fund that you're working on. What exactly is that, and what are you guys looking to invest in with that? So the Innova Fund is Blue Tree's uh, fund that we have for our members, and we invest alongside whatever the network is looking at. So it's um, you know basically whatever all the things I just described as far as um, you know tech, life sciences, sure. things like that. Okay. But you guys are looking at like a next wave impact fund kind of thing, or is that the same thing, or is that a different thing? So that's a different thing. That's something that I I got involved with um, kind of through Golden Seed. So uh, my angel background started with Blue Tree, and that's where I, I focus a lot of my time now. But in the middle of all this, um, due to my husband's job, I moved around a little bit, and I was living in New York for a while. And while I was there, I joined an angel group called Golden Seed, okay. where we invest in women-led companies. So there has to be a woman in a fairly significant uh, management role and also a fairly significant amount of equity in the company. And, uh, you know, because we were realizing that women just have a harder time to raise capital for their ideas. So that that's been a really great experience and I've met a lot of wonderful people. And then from that, I met some other people who um, wanted to do a fund specifically for women to learn how to become investors. So while Golden Seeds invests in women-led companies and is really focused on helping women get capital, uh, Next Wave is focused on that, but also focused on helping women become angel investors. So sometimes angel investing can be a little uh, intimidating, kind of like I said at the beginning where I'm sitting in a meeting and I have no idea what a convertible note is. Um, And so what we're trying to do is give a way that has a you know very low um, barrier entry so that people can come in and they can uh, get the education and learn about this space before necessarily committing to an angel group where they have a higher dollar commitment that they need to make. Got you. So is Blue Tree involved in this at all or, or no? It's more of a Golden Seeds kind of thing or how does that kind of work? Um, Next Wave is not a part of Blue Tree or Golden Seed. It's, uh, it's your, something it's that was fun out of okay. the cost. And then, yeah, the cost. And I got you. Okay. I'm just trying to get it all straight. Because I, I think that's the interesting thing about kind of being an angel investor is 
it seems like in my experience, not I'm not an angel investor personally. I don't have the the money to kick, throw around like that, and I wish I did. But walk me through kind of how do you? Because like, how does it kind of work? Because you you're obviously like you're you're managing partner at Blue Tree. You're doing stuff with Golden Seeds. Then you're doing this other fund. Like, can they? Is it allowed legally to like take all those companies can kind of invest in the same thing? Do they have different verticals they play in or does it not really matter? Is it kind of up to the fund or the companies or, or how does that all kind of work together? Well, it's actually, it's not that it's not, it's kind of the opposite of not allowed. It's actually really favorable okay. to have multiple groups all looking at the same company. So, cause what happens is in angel investing, an angel group is, you know, usually only going to be in that geographic region. And there's going to be only so many members who have only so much capital sure. to put into this asset class. And it is a very, you know, just as a disclaimer, it is a very risky asset class. Sure. And uh, so, you know, we always try to make sure that people aren't investing, you know, more than they should. Sure. Um, but at that, in that same breath, we're trying to make sure that a company who needs to get a cert, up to a certain amount of capital can get that. And it's, you know, typical for angel deals, um, you know, I use the term loosely, but is about a million to $2 million is what they're looking for. Okay. Well, there are very few angel groups out there that can corral to a million dollars on their own. Gotcha. So they really need to syndicate with other partners. Now, um, I am involved in three groups. They're all completely different. They have a completely different process, completely different deal flow. However, there are times there's crossover, okay. and because I'm in all three, uh, I kind of help the groups to be able to see, hey, I think you would like this, or maybe you would like that, and you know, this, this and that. So it just depends on what the company is that we're looking at, but syndication is really an area that the Angel Capital Association is very um, supportive of and wants to promote. Uh, lots of collaboration across the country because of that very need of the companies needing capital and they they can't necessarily get it in their own backyard. They have to go out and raise from other places. And that is as, as hard as it is, it's much easier when you have a warm introduction and you can say, Oh, I know so-and-so and I'll be able to help you and I'll be able to get you to, you know, whoever's in charge of deal flow so that, um, you might be able to, I know that this particular angel group like this type of company, you know, that type of thing. Got you. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I've always kind of maybe wondered that kind of, maybe that's a selfish question for me personally, because I always kind of wondered, right? Like I've met a few kind of angel investors where they're involved in a bunch of kind of different companies. And it, at, at first it's kind of like, well, why? But it, it totally makes sense, right? Because you're right. Sometimes it's just to your point, like different verticals or different parts of the country or, or whatnot. And I'm assuming that, um, like you said, most angels can't just write like 15, $1 million checks, right? I'm sure there's some that can, but, but like yeah, the average yeah, person very, can, very, very right? Few. So, yeah. but right. I am curious to know for you or for, well, not necessarily for anybody to be an angel investor, is there I've heard kind of like you should take maybe a certain percentage of uh, your your net worth or is it kind of a certain percentage right. of a certain percentage or, or how does that kind of, how do you decide 
how much to put in and say like, you know what, I want to be an angel investor. I'm willing to put in X amount of dollars. And then, okay, yeah, answer that first. I'm curious to know about that. Okay, so everyone who um, makes these types of investments in the United States needs to be what's considered an accredited investor. And there's an accredited investor definition okay. um, based on income and based on net worth. Okay. So if you meet the definition of accredited and you want to be making angel investments, um, it is, you know, quote unquote, recommended by the powers that be that you really don't invest more than five to 10 percent of your net worth. Okay. And diversification is very important. So um, in most groups, you won't see them writing checks for more than $20,000 into each company. Gotcha. Um, and what we recommend is really that people take a look at making a decision at the beginning of the year so that you don't kind of go crazy. I mean, you can, you could be in a meeting and be like, Oh yeah, I like that. I like that. <laughs> and, like, and I, you know, while that's really, you know, great for entrepreneurs, um, you also have to be careful that you don't um, end up in a bad situation. So we try to just say, listen, you know, it's, it's best. And also it's probably best if for the first six months or so people don't invest anything. Oh, first six months to a year, don't invest anything. Like just watch, like learn, look around. Like you might think, oh, this is a great deal. This is the next Google. No, it's not. <laughs> so you've got to, you know, just be really careful before you start uh, making investments. And then just start small. You know, in a lot of cases, you can make a, a five to $10,000 investment in a company. And, you know, as long as you're not the only one standing there too, you got to be careful about that too. That's another reason why we like to syndicate, you know, an angel group doesn't want to put in a hundred thousand dollars uh, collectively hundred thousand dollars into a company and the company needs a million and then nobody else comes in. Right. Well, they're going to burn through that hundred thousand dollars quickly. And then there's nobody else at the party and the company, you know, goes bankrupt because they couldn't sustain themselves. So part of the whole syndication effort is really so that everybody wins. The entrepreneur wins because the company is going to move forward. But all the other angel groups, they want to bond together so that they can make everything stronger. No, that that makes a lot of sense. And and correct me if I'm wrong here. It seems also like if you have investors, even if they own, I don't know, like 1% hypothetically, let's say. So each there's say maybe 10 angel groups across the country and they each own 1% of a company, they're going to be mm-hmm. more likely to promote the companies that they invest in in their geographical location than if it's just one, you know, group in one geographical area, correct? Like it, it just seems Absolutely. like it's almost better to spread your your investment over the nation than just have one geographical location because obviously you know, you have a bigger network, right, of people promoting their investments. That's exactly right. And also, you want the network of the of all of the angels that are in the deal with sure. you. So if you have, like, let's say four angel groups, and each angel group had, I'm just going to make up numbers sure. here, like 10 investors, yeah. um, that's 40 people that you can call on now if you need an introduction into a certain company, like if you're a, a you know, food product and you want an introduction to like a Kroger's or a Whole Foods or something like that, you know, now you have this fast network that you can call on. Sure. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I I think that's actually, that's actually really interesting. So is there, and the, the, I guess my question is, is like, obviously you guys do a lot of stuff that's outside of kind of Silicon Valley. And I'm really Mm -hmm. curious to know 
your thoughts on kind of, do you really need to move to the Valley anymore to be a startup? I personally don't think so. Um, I know there's a couple different camps out there on that. Um, There is a lot going on, especially in places like Boston, New York, Austin, Texas, and even in places like Pittsburgh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. I mean, there are, there is innovation happening everywhere. And I think that what we need to start to look at is the things that are in our own backyard and let's help the people in our own community. I mean, the whole idea about angel investing is, you know, sure, there's a return on investment that people want. And yes, it has to do with money. But at the end of the day, you really need to be in this because you care about creating jobs, especially in your community. And this is the best way to be able to do that. You're not just giving people fish, you're teaching them to fish. So if you're into philanthropy, this is a really cool kind of different spin on philanthropy, because you have a way of helping people to be able to create jobs that just help your community get better and better. No, I've actually never heard of it explained that way. And I think that makes a lot of sense, right? Because you're right. And, you know, and then you connect with somebody like yourself, who's obviously connected across the nation and kind of beyond that. And so, you know, just even having like, you know, one of you like yourself as a connection is huge. And then if you introduce me to, you know, 39 other people, like to your 40 example, like that can only be beneficial to the, um, you know, entrepreneur, right? And then everybody else involved. Exactly. No, that's right. Because it is a risky asset class. So it's not like uh, every deal that you invest in is going to be a home run. I mean, you hope that one in 10 will be a home run. So, you know, what are you, what are you really in this for? And if it's because you really just care about a return on investment, then you should just go plan the stock market. Yeah, okay, I got you. So I'm curious then, traditionally, when an angel group um, invests in a company, are you guys kind of, and it probably depends on the deal, but are you looking to get a return in like one year, three year, five years, 10 years, or does it really depend on kind of the vertical and the industry and the company? Um, it, it does really depend on the vertical, the industry, and the company. Okay. Um, I would say that as an angel investor, you need to have an appetite for patience. Okay, sure. <laughs> um, they, they call it patient capital for a reason. Um, you do have to have a lot of patience, especially with life science companies. Sure. Um, but those are the ones that always pull up my heartstrings, you know, the the pharma type of companies that are trying to cure Alzheimer's and things like that. Those are... Those are things I, I get excited about. Um, so uh, that would have probably a tail, though, of maybe seven to ten years. So this is not quick. I mean, one year is, like, almost unheard of. Sure. I would say five years would be really a good uh, amount of time, but we're talking somewhere between five and ten usually. Okay. No, I'm, I'm always kind of curious that because I, I think, like, not everybody, but a lot of people are kind of like, well, I'm just going to double my money in, you know, 12, 18, 24 months, right? And it's like, well, then you probably don't want to be an angel investor. Fair enough yeah, to say. No. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> that is fair. So for people that maybe want to become an angel investor, where do you recommend they kind of start? Do you just tell them to go kind of reach out to their local angel network or, or how do you go about becoming one? 
Well, I would say that's a good place to start. Um, locally, find out what's happening in your community. Just start to go to networking events and, and learn about um, you know, what's happening in your ecosystem. Um, one of the reasons that we put together the Next Wave Fund, last year it was called the Rising Tide Fund, um, which was uh, it's basically the model is 99 women investors um, forming a fund to be able to learn about and um, work with each other and kind of network amongst ourselves uh, in order to learn how to be better angel investors across the country because basically it's all virtual. And there are programs like Next Wave, there's another one called Pipeline Fellowship, which allow people to learn about angel investing and it's basically a, a pipeline into being able to then join an angel group. Okay. No, that makes sense. And so if somebody wants to get involved with Next Wave, are can they? Do they reach out to you? Do you have kind of like a, a vetting process of who you'll let kind of into those funds or or how does that kind of work? Yeah, I would be able to talk talk with people about that. Okay, so how that whole thing works, or if they wanted um, information just about angel investing in general, sure. Okay, and so if what what is kind of the criteria that you guys traditionally look for, either in kind of next next wave or when you're putting together a fund? Is there certain things that you look for in an in an individual when you're putting together a new fund? Well, like I said, every investor needs to meet the accredited yeah, okay. investor so definition. After that, that's a, though. Yeah, so that's, that's important. Sure, yeah. <laughs> All the lawyers would tell me I need, I actually had to say that. Sure, sure. Um, so um, I think in the in next wave um, case, you know, we're really looking to help grow the, and the idea of angels, more people being angels, I guess is what I should say. There's okay. a lot of people out there, like I said earlier, who are really – great with philanthropy and they give away a lot of money um, and it's, it's more of like a passive type of thing where what we're trying to say is, hey, there are other ways that you can get at more actively involved, but in order to do that, um, before you just start writing checks over and over again, like, let's see if, you know, there's a better way that you can get educated about this so that you feel more empowered to then you know, take that out to, the, to your community and build that and, and find other people who would be interested in learning and, and that kind of like a snowball effect. Okay. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And and so if I if I become an angel investor, say, and I put in, I don't know, 100 grand into a fund, hypothetically, do you, how involved do I need to be or not be? Do you guys kind of handle everything for me or can I be involved as much as I want to be involved or do you expect me to be involved or how does that kind of work? That's an interesting question because each fund works a little differently. Okay. Uh, there are some funds that people invest in and they, they write the check and then they never really hear anything until there's an update whenever the fund managers decide the update's going to be annually, quarterly, whatever that is. Okay. Um, with Next Wave, what we have tried to do is let people be as actively involved as they can. So we have monthly online events where uh, companies come present their ideas to us. Oh, interesting. And that is something that people, the, that the, um, the members of Next Wave get to see, and they can do it for one month and maybe not the next month. They could do it every month. No month, you know, it's 
really they can be as actively involved as, as they want. Of course, we want everybody to be as actively involved as possible. Um, but, you know, sometimes obviously life gets in the way and you can't, you can't be involved all the time. But the idea is the strength, I think in, in any angel group, the strength of the group comes from the engagement of the members. So if you have a lot of engagement from your group, then that's just going to make the experience, not just for the members, but also for the entrepreneur dealing with that angel group that much better. Okay. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and maybe this is kind of a weird question, but if I, if I'm part of an angel group and that group decides to invest and take, you know, whatever money that I put into that, am I allowed to put in extra money into certain companies or is that kind of no you put your money in and that money's just going to come from you know the fund that you put money into or does it not really matter well that's a good question um in fact there are many uh funds that will actually document that exact thing if you are or are not allowed to make a like what would be considered almost like a sidecar investment. Yeah. So if the fund is investing in company X, yeah. And let's say you wanted to invest in company X also, but more than what you already have through the fund, sure. then there are times that you can do that, and that's usually written into the document okay. um, of of any fund. Yeah. Okay. So so f- because it's really a benefit right. to the investor to be allowed to do that, if that makes sense. Because if the fund is going to invest, a significant amount of diligence has been done on the company. And um, that takes a lot of time and sometimes money uh, in order to create those types of documents. So um, being able to invest alongside uh, more than you had already committed to the fund is um, is definitely an advantage. Okay, so each fund basically has their own rules, though, but that's a common thing yep. that's in there that's usually yeah. generally allowed. Is um, yeah, okay. yeah, I would say. Um, okay, so, not usually, but yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so is there any other kind of things like that that's pretty typical when you know people are saying you know I really want to be part of this fund that you know. Maybe they should look out for to say like, yeah, that that makes sense. Or is there things that you, sh- if you see in a fund, that you're like, mm, you might want to like do some more homework and, and see what that really means, and if you want to get involved in that, in that or not. I think everybody kind of needs to do their own diligence okay. and and make a decision about the fund that they're looking at and what the like kind of how does it align with what their objectives are. Because every fund is going to be a little bit different as far as how, you know, about the risk tolerance and the thing, the types of things that they're investing in, the managers and, and how that's going to work, how active, how passively can they be, can they make side investments, you know, all of those things that would be taken into consideration. Like if I were, you know, looking to say, oh, I'm going to go and invest in a fund and I'm going to compare like five funds next to each other, for example. Got you. Um, I would just want to make sure it aligned with what my investment thesis was. Okay. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. But sadly, we're coming to the end of the show. So let's close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself, Blue Tree, and any other links you want to mention. Sure. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I have a fairly uncommon name, so M-A-R-C-I-A, Marsha, my first name, Dawood, my last name, D-A-W-O-O-D. 
Uh, so you can find me there for sure. You can also email me at Dawood, D-A-W-O-O-D-M-R, at bluetreecapital.com. Perfect. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time of the day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you, and have a good rest of your day. Great. Thanks so much, Kevin. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com. And keep them in the future.